there's a storm coming. And like most storms, you don't see it yet, but it's coming. Preacher, what are you talking about? I'm talking about what could only be described as a storm from heaven. When we think of storms, we think of bad things. Let me tell you what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the Spirit of God falling on men. I'm thinking about blessings from heaven opening in ways we never dreamed. I'm talking about entire cities being affected, the sin centers of the cities being put out of business. I'm talking about a real, honest move of God. It's coming. Preacher, I don't know what you're talking about. Here you go. All over this nation, there are groups of people who, without any knowledge of each other, are falling on their face and asking God to heal our land. Within the past three weeks, in the city of Dalton, Georgia, 70 churches, and by the way, not all Baptist churches, 70 churches had representation at a meeting that went on and on and on and on because those people want to hear from God. They want to see God do some things in our land that have never been done before. I'm going to give you a heads up, and you can call it a commercial if you like, but many of you have yet to try a small group. You have yet to come back on Sunday night and to have dinner with us and to go through some material. I'm telling you that in the next few weeks, I'm going to be beginning a, beginning a walk through how God has worked in history to bring about revival among his people. You are going to be absolutely amazed. I'll tell you this. One of the greatest works of God ever in our land took place four hours from here. Four hours from here. Sounds like we might need a field trip, amen? Four hours from here. But let me tell you how it started. It started in prayer. Some of us have a very difficult time with the concept of prayer because in our view, why pray about it when you can do it? Well, let me just throw this at you. If you can do it, if you, if you can accomplish it, why do, you think God, why do you think God should do it for you? If you can do it, why do you think God should... What are you talking about, preacher? What I'm talking about is precisely this. We don't pray because we feel like we can just get the job done. And I'm telling you, why shouldn't, why in the world, I'm asking you, why in the world should God do anything for us that we're just going to launch in and do ourselves? Why beg for supernatural means when ordinary means will do? This morning, I, I, I'm going to begin a series of messages, and this is just a study, guys. It's just a study on prayer. Do you know, I've, I've heard 
How many of y'all have heard people pray and you thought, man, they can pray? Y'all ever heard that? Heard somebody pray? You just knew. They, they had the, yeah, absolutely. Well, what would you say if I told you that we probably would, would benefit from studying prayer as Jesus taught it? Do you reckon if anybody knew how to pray, it was Jesus? Amen? Let me ask you this. Do you think prayer is powerful? Do you? Why? See, that's the question most of us have a difficult time with. You say, oh, yeah, I believe in the power of prayer. Why? Well, we might say, well, I've seen it work before. Oh, you've seen it work before. You've seen prayer work before. Do you understand that what, what prayer is, is communication? It's communication. It's you talking to God. It's not the prayer. It's not the words working. It's God working. So I think we really need to get a good hold on what prayer really is. Now take a look at me. Go ahead and, and pull up prayer is. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to get there in a minute. I've jumped ahead. It's my bad. Y'all go, go through this with me because then I'm going to have you read it and we're going to read it all together. Prayer is an humble you entering the throne room of heaven to present you before God the Father through your mediator, his Son, amplified by his Holy Spirit, which makes your petition presentable to the King of Kings. You come waltzing into the throne room of heaven and don't even realize everything that's going on. Let me read this to you. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, this is what Scripture says. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Jesus is our mediator between us and God. Um, we're Baptists, so we're scared to death of the Holy Spirit. We're afraid something's going to happen we can't explain. Um, I pray for the day something happens we can't explain. I pray for the day that somebody stands up and says, well, that's not in decency and in order. That'd be good stuff, wouldn't it? Likewise, in Romans 8, chapter 26, uh, verse 26 and 27, it says, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You need to understand that our pitiful little weak prayers are amplified through the Holy Spirit of God. He makes intercession for us. Jesus is our mediator. The Holy Spirit beefs up our prayers. He knows what we mean. And the, he who knows the hearts reads the mind of the Holy Spirit to know what's really behind some of the stuff we're praying about. I got a question for you. Have you ever prayed asking God for a certain thing and sometime later on, you realized, wow, it's probably a good thing God said no. You ever had that happen? 
Do you reckon the Holy Spirit of God knew exactly what was good for you and possibly even buffered that prayer so as not to be inappropriate to present to the Father? We've all seen the little child who just bucks up on the parent in their life. No, I'm not going to do it. You know what we generally say to that? Have you forgotten who you're talking to? Y'all ever said that? You ever had it said to you? Have you forgotten who you're talking to? And then they get up bigger. They're like a teenager. And, and you know, they, they, they got a, a, a fully grown adult body. You're, they're standing in front of you. They're strong and it's that and the other. And then they pop off with something just really disrespectful. Like, I hate you. Really? Is it entirely possible that we haven't grown into who we are in Christ Jesus yet and that some of the junk we pop off to God about is really inappropriate to even say to him? Is that possible? I want to read what Jesus said when he taught his disciples how to pray. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to begin in verse 9 because I have this sneaking suspicion most of us haven't gotten past good bread, good meat, Good golly, let's eat. We need to learn how to pray. Amen? Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. Thank you. If you'd like to stand, we will reverence the reading of the word of God together. It's not that I have forgotten. It's just that I have had numerous complaints. Preacher, we're up and we're down. We're up and we're down. We're up and we're down. And you ask us to stand one more time, my knees just won't take it. God bless you. Stay seated. You want to sit? You sit. That's fine with me. All right? In this manner, therefore, pray. And by the way, in your copy of Scripture, are those words in red? What do you think that indicates? This is Jesus talking, amen? All right, here's what he says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Father, this morning, we're going to examine Jesus' words. God, this morning, let us hear his heart. I pray it in his name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I'm going to take this apart very much the way a mechanic and a body man would work together to take apart a vehicle that they're going to restore. Everything is disassembled and it's examined and then put back together. Often parts are replaced, and those and uh, things are painted to look better. Uh, we're not doing, we're not changing anything, but we are going to take it apart. We're going to unpack this. So we're going to only going to make it through four words this morning. Our Father in heaven. The Lord's prayer is not merely a recitation. Or an act of penance as some of our denominations would like to uh, present it. Instead, it's, uh, it's talking to God. It's really not even appropriate to replace the personal access that has been made available to you in his presence. 
In other words, we don't recite this like a nursery rhyme and expect that to be the sum total of our prayer life. Is it wrong to pray it? No. Is it wrong to be the only prayer you pray? I think probably you can do better than that. Because to begin with, you must understand who you're talking to. Our Father identifies the one to whom we're praying. I want you to think of prayer as the opportunity to present your petition before a royal court. So imagine walking up into the reception area and kneeling down before a king in order to speak in his presence. You have your head bowed, there's no eye contact, and you are in the full awareness that this who's, the one who sits on the throne has absolute authority over your life and your death. You don't waltz into that with an arrogant heart and start popping off like, a, like an early adolescent. Can I have an amen? The prayer begins with that normal Plural possessive pronoun, and that's for you English scholars in the room, it, that word is our. Now, you and I are included in that hour, for he is the common thread that runs through our universe. He is at the deepest point of our human connection. We are created in the very image of God. We breathe because he breathed the breath of life into us. It was his plan that we have a relationship with him as well as any relationship together. If you'll remember, God made man and placed him in the garden. And then he brought all the created animals by him. And there was not a suitable companion for man. God made man to, be, to, to need relationships. God, y'all, don't check out on me. This is going to be hard. But I guess if I, had to, if I had to put it, do you know that God wants to have dinner with you? Y'all think I'm lying, don't you? What's our first stop when we leave here? The marriage supper of the Lamb. You are an invited guest as a family member into the very presence of God. God has created you to have a relationship with him. He chose the nation of Israel as his own. He led them through the wilderness. And out of them, he sent his son to save you. Our God is a relational God. And because he's our God, he's the focal point of our corporate gatherings. In the opening prayer this morning, I talked about all of the things that were going on in our lives and all the discussions that had happened on this campus this morning, and absolutely none of them matters with this single exception. Our God is great. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. That's the only thing that matters this morning. His Son, Jesus Christ, has forgiven us of our sin, and we worship Him together, and yet... We also have the opportunity to worship him in private. We, the hour in our Father, also have an opportunity for I with our Father. His fingerprints are all over everything. Our world, our organizational structure, our laws, our nation, our states, our cities, our churches, our neighborhoods, our families, our own bodies, and even our minds bear his fingerprints. 
we are designed by the Lord God Almighty who stepped onto the stage of eternity into nothingness and created all that is out of absolutely nothing. He spoke it into existence, and it was. And everything bears his fingerprints. The fact that you are even aware of yourself this morning where you're sitting is evidence that God exists. The fact that you even are aware that there is a being higher than you is evidence that God exists. It's to him that you and I are going to give account. Y'all know that, right? It's in him that all believers must trust in order to be saved. We have to trust him. Does your prayer life reflect that you trust God? He's the point of our deepest spiritual connection. (laughs) Y'all realize that you and I are sinners, right? You're sinners. But because of our connection with him, we are sinners. And we love this part because it showed up in a gospel song one time. We are sinners saved by... Mm -hmm. It's to him that you and I turn for help in time of trouble. You see, when our hearts are broken, it's to God we go. When our health and our wealth are threatened, it's to God we turn. When our world is in a mess and our country is in distress, it is to God we turn. I hope. I'm going to say this one time. I do have personal convictions in the political realm. But the greatest conviction I have is this. There is no candidate going to save our world. The Lord God Almighty has the ability and from what we see in time past has proven that he can turn things around. I'm just not sure his people are looking to him rather than looking to a particular candidate. And if an ordinary means will do, why should we pray for the supernatural? We think we've got this system figured out. We get enough people on our side, we can have things our way. And that's both sides, not one. And what we've forgotten is that God sits on his throne. He raises up whom he will. He puts down whom he will in his time as he wishes. I'm not against participating as a, as a citizen of the United States of America in the political process. I'm not against that at all. But I would be an absolute fool to think that that's the source of what's going to fix us. Somehow or another, we've got to turn to him. Because when life is pressing in and when the kids are stressing you out, when it feels as though the family's about to explode, when your heart is broken and it seems that your soul is drained out of you, when loneliness and despair are just absolutely too great to bear, he is our creator, our ruler, our sustainer, our protector, our redeemer and defender. And he is our king of kings and our Lord of lords. And I get to call him father. Amen? I want you to understand this morning, our father also intimates a family connection. We're connected to God in a family sense. 
In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, Scripture says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Hey, y'all catch this, catch this part. If, you're, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are one of God's kids because he adopted you. You are a royal prince or princess, and your daddy rules the universe. Explain to me why we're looking everywhere else for the solution to our problems. God's rightful position in our life is Father. He is our Father. Now, those of you who have a father understand that there's, there's, there's things that come along with being a father. When trouble comes and someone wants to come to the house or you get a phone call from school and there's a teacher who's upset, they don't ask to talk to your daddy. They ask to talk to who? Your father. When mama has had all she can handle of you, she looks at you and she says, you wait till your father gets home. There is, there is a, a, an, a, kind of a, an insinuated official office that comes with that term father. And God is rightfully our father. He, when he leads, we follow. When he speaks, we listen. When he sins, we go. When he instructs, we learn and we heed. When he commands, we better obey. Can I have an amen? Yep. While we are absolutely familiar with this almost clinical description of a father, you are truly blessed if you know the personal relationship of a dad. Now, I need to take a time out here. Because of the experiences of some, when I speak of a father or a dad, not everyone in this room thinks well. Men have made messes of their children by not following the, the heavenly father, but instead deciding that they're going to treat children like so many possessions or boss them around because no one else in their life will give them an opportunity to have any kind of authority. Y'all understand that, right? And there are a lot of stunted people walking around that when I speak of God being our heavenly father, that's not comforting to them because their idea of a father is somebody who comes in drunk on Saturday night and beats everybody and screams and yells and makes mama cry. And then goes to work and comes in on, on Monday evening with a list of chores and stands over you with a switch until they get done. Can I have an amen? Y'all know what I'm talking about? We have men who have ruined the idea of father in many people's eyes. If you're here this morning and that is your experience, I'd like for you to listen to me very carefully. You know what my father does? My father in heaven loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son so that you could live forever he will never abuse you he will never abandon you he will never curse you he will never slap you around he absolutely will correct you if you decide to be rebellious 
His Holy Spirit will put a dagger through your heart should you decide to try to sin secretly. His son, Jesus, will one day come back for you and we're all going to live at his house. And believe me, it ain't nothing like the one you grew up in. My father is a good, good father. But the word pater, which is the Greek word used in this passage, um, winds up being used in another place and it's translated another way altogether. It's an interesting thing. In the original language, it indicates the formal understanding of the term father. However, when Jesus was praying in the garden on the night before he was crucified, he introduced us to a much more intimate name for his father. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, scripture says this, And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Well, that was Jesus, and he was talking to the Heavenly Father. Of course, Jesus could say it. Well, let me let you in on a little something. Paul said we could too. Because over in Romans chapter 8, by the way, one of the greatest passages of Scripture in all, all, all the New Testament is in Romans chapter 8. You need to read that once a week if you don't read anything else. Romans 8. It'll do your heart good, I promise, all right? This is what it says in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. You're not to go back into that mess. Fear's done in your life. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Paul says we can call him Abba, Father. In 2010, y'all were very gracious to Donna and I, many of you donated and sent us to walk the streets that Jesus walked. Well, there was a day when Donna and I were walking through the streets of Jerusalem and there were just people everywhere. And this little boy, he couldn't have been more than six or seven. He came running by us like a streak. Now, you got to understand, they're not quiet. None of them are quiet. They're, it's a loud place. Donna, am I, am I telling the truth? It's a loud place and everybody is shouting and screaming over everyone else in order to be heard. It is a loud, loud, loud place. But, but streaking through and running by people and everything else, this little boy, he is running like a shot. And he is calling out the only words I recognized in Hebrew the entire time he was there. As he came running through there, he's hollering, Abba, Abba, Abba. Abba, as he came running through, I thought, hey, I know that word. He's hollering for his daddy. You reckon God sits in the throne room of heaven waiting on us to finally get over ourselves and come running into his presence yelling, Abba, Abba, Abba. When we pray, when we pray our Father, we're praying not only to the King, we're praying to Daddy. That ought to give you some comfort. That ought to give you some comfort. I'm going to one day stand before a King, and he's going to be a King who knows my name, and I know his son. And he's adopted me. It's one thing to stand before a judge. It's another thing to stand before a judge that you call daddy.
Amen. I hope that comforts your heart this morning. He invites us to speak freely to him, but it is absolutely in my best interest to remember who I'm talking to because I don't want to be guilty of waltzing into the, into the throne room of heaven, refusing to bow humbly before him, and spouting off about all the stuff I want rather than praying, not my will, but thy will be done. I figure if his son is praying, not my will, but thy will be done, maybe that's a pretty good prayer for us too. Can I have an amen? Yep. Our dad is the king of the universe, and he wants to talk to you. We get to the next two words, in heaven. In heaven indicates his superior authority. Abba has a soft place in his heart for his kids, but he's still the ruler of all. His love for us is backed by his holiness, his righteousness, his matchless power, his all-knowing, and his ever-present everywhere. He, he's still God, and he's still all those things. He's nothing less than God. We just get to call him Father because he's adopted us, and we, we better remember it. He is not a mere man who will let sin creep in, nor is he one who will tolerate rebellion without responding appropriately. He's not your smart neighbor, and he's not the old man down the street who you go to for wisdom. He is the Lord God Almighty, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the greatest that ever was. Muhammad Ali just thought he was the greatest. He now knows who the greatest is. God has superior perspective and that's something we've got to get in our head. God, you're not doing this the way I want it done. God has superior perspective. He has all the authority but he has the perspective that goes with it. You see, his decisions about our lives are made from the perspective of heaven, not from the perspective of what you think is going to make you happy. <laughs> he sees clearly those things that I have limited ability to understand. He is Elohim, who spoke the worlds into existence, and yet turned right around and destroyed it all in a flood, save eight people. Think about that one for a moment. Well, that was a waste of time and effort. God created all there was and then destroyed it all. That's because you don't know what you're talking about. You see the, you see the raw events. You, don't, you, don't, you haven't been in the mind of God to understand exactly why he did everything he did, exactly the way he did it. The few details we have simply tell us we need to walk with the Lord our God and to walk humbly with him. That's the few details we have. That's the story it tells us. He's the God who reached his limit of patience with Sodom and Gomorrah and yet spared Lot who himself was a sinful man. Think about that paradox. He's destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, and yet because of Abraham, he spares Lot and his family only to get out of the city. Lot's wife can't control herself. She turns into a pillar of salt, and then Lot's daughters can't control their self. They get daddy drunk and have children by him. Explain to me how he destroys one but keeps the other. I don't know the mind of God. I'm just telling you what he did. God has eternal perspective. It's superior perspective. He allowed Joseph to be enslaved, abused, and imprisoned 
by the cream of Egypt society and then promoted him to an honored national leadership in order to save his own extended family. God, I don't get what you do sometimes. That's right. You don't. He led his chosen people over from over 400 years of slavery through his servant Moses and then wouldn't let them into the land because they didn't trust him. Y'all need to understand something. God don't operate on our estimation of what good and bad judgment is. God operates on what he knows about everything. Throughout the body of Scripture, we see things, we see God doing things that just don't seem to fit. But this morning, I'm going to tell you, in your life, God is doing some things that may not seem to fit. He clearly sees the span of your life. He knows how every experience is going to shape you. He knows your joys and your fears. He knows the effects that someone is going to have on you tomorrow and on everyone else. He sees the trajectory of our politics our societal changes, and our pop culture. And absolutely none of it takes him by surprise, nor does it cause an emergency meeting of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to somehow fix what's getting out of control. Can I have an amen? But God has, I'm just about done, so y'all hang with me. God has a superior plan. His creation was sabotaged by Satan, or at least so Satan thought. Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In the book of Genesis, God already had a plan in place to save humanity who had already fallen into sin in that moment when Satan thought he'd been able to ruin everything God did. In spite of initiating a hard reset on humanity via the flood, God's plan was still right on track. Through the generations of men, some evil, some good, God's plan continues to unfold on the pages of our life as we see also in the pages of the Bible. Who would have ever included a prostitute and multiple murderers in a plan to save humanity from sin? Y'all didn't catch that part. Y'all drifting on me, so I'm going to say it again. That's, that's, a, that's a good quote. That's worth it. All right, you ready? Who would have ever included a prostitute and multiple murderers in a plan to save humanity from sin? God's plan is hardly ever recognized clearly until it's already accomplished and you're looking at it in reverse. That's why you have a hard time seeing God's plan unfolding in your own life. That's how come when you come to hard times, you tend to blame it on Satan. Is it possible that God walks us through deep valleys on purpose? Not every bad thing from our perspective that happens in our life is a direct result of Satan. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's a direct result of our own ignorance, of our own rebelliousness. And sometimes, (coughs) sometimes... God is simply walking us to a place where we'll finally hold his hand. (laughs) Because God's perspective and plan is superior. It's ever more important that we learn to pray. This morning, I realize we've covered a lot of material in a very short time. I want to ask them to come and get a song ready. But I want you to understand that when you say, Our Father in heaven... It means something. We, our 
join together and we pray because we're connected by him. Our father, we are family in the family of God. He is our father who sits on the throne. He is the father we get to call Abba. So while you have a tendency to think in terms of prayer being powerful, I'd like for you to consider that prayer is nothing more than a conversation. And I would never say that a conversation with David McGill is powerful. I can say a meeting with David McGill brings up a lot of good stuff. But prayer is not some magic potion or magic utterance. It's a conversation with God. How do you feel about your prayer life this morning? When you pray, do you sense that you're in fellowship with God? Are you talking about heart stuff? Or did you just come to him with your laundry list or your grocery list or the things that you, you want? Are you expecting him to do a magic trick for you and to bring things into perspective, bring things to pass that you just like to have? Well, I'm going to tell you something. Here it is. To appear before God with anything less than an humble heart, laying our heart before him, is sin. I would tell you that the vast majority of our prayers are sinfully prayed because we're not taking time to remember. Our Father is the King of the universe who art in heaven, who has ultimate and absolute authority over everything. And we come before him selfishly. This morning, I'm going to offer you an opportunity for a fresh start. It's got to start fresh somewhere. It's got to. Are you still fighting him for the right to do things your way? I finish with this question. Abba is waiting for you to come visit. I want to know, will you make that first step this morning? Tell you what I started to do this morning. I started to ascend the platform and go sit down and count off five minutes of silence. Five minutes of silence in a room like this someone would not have been able to stand. Someone would have gotten up and left or someone would have said, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? How long has there been silence in the spot that God has reserved for you to pray? How long has he said idly by, wondering if you'll drop by? He wants us to come have dinner with him. He wants us to have fellowship with him. We have a relationship with him. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I want you to know he wants to take you home with him. When this life's over, no hell. You get to go home with him. And all you have to do is trust him. Father, this morning I want to thank you for all who are here. God, the expressions on faces 
the fidgets, all the little, all the little facial ticks that just remind me that you're, you're working in hearts. They're all present this morning. God, I pray that if we have somehow used you like some kind of magician just to bring about the things we want in our life, I pray you'd forgive us. Father, if we've waltzed into your presence and like immature children demanded our way, I pray, God, you'd forgive us. Father, if somehow we've just simply left home at your feet and we just haven't come back, I pray you'd forgive us. Father, may these next few minutes be the first step towards setting things right because there's a storm coming. God, I can smell it on the freshening breeze. Father, we don't need to be caught off guard. We need to be a part of those who are praying for your spirit to fall on this nation. We're all going to live with the consequences of elections. We're all going to live with the consequences of acts of Congress and decisions of the Supreme Court and every other kind of law you can imagine. God, we're all going to be subject to it. But we don't have to be hopeless because our God, our dad, sits on the ultimate throne. Father, could we just take a few moments with you? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.